Let us pray. Father in heaven, it's so good to be back here with you in this special series to listen to you about what it means to be a disciple, a person who has met Jesus for themselves and lives in such a way that more disciples happen. This is incredible stuff, Lord. Please, yet once again, sir, we would see Jesus. In his name we ask. Amen. He preached all day by the lake. And when Jesus preached, you were overwhelmed. The man was incredible. As a Galilean from the city, people marveled that such good things can from, come from a guy who, who came from the bad part of town. But as we've been looking at this, this week, there's no such thing as a good part of town or a bad part of town. There's no such thing as a good race or a bad race. There's no such thing as a good political party and a bad political party. There's only such a thing as people who have met Jesus and people who have not met Jesus. It doesn't matter what you know. It's who you know. Check it out. And that's the rule on the street, you know. There was ministry happening in Washington, D.C., and they had to go see Mr. Big. There are rules on some community streets, you know. There's a Mr. Big in San Bernardino, more than likely. You could always feel their influence. But you go to a country town, it's the same way. There's a Mr. Big in a country town. Sometimes it's the sheriff or the judge or that one guy who holds that pharmacy that's been around for a thousand years. There's always somebody who carries the influence. And in Jesus' town, he didn't care about being Mr. Big. Jesus taught the opposite. If you want to be great on this planet, learn to be the servant of everybody else. In the professions that you're going into, there's always a Mr. or Ms. Big in the building. Don't ever try for these positions if you get stuck being director of a department someday, if you're ever brutalized by the opportunity to be a vice president, be humble about it. There is nothing glorious about leadership. It's only, uh, uh, what's the closest definition? A fire department? You're always putting out fires. In ER, you're always recovering those who are in serious trouble. Leadership is a bunch of pain. Jesus demonstrated the most powerful impact you can be. He was always among the people. He can hang out with wealthy people in the big city. He can hang out with the poorest of the farmers. And one day he was preaching, and as he preached, people with all kinds of illnesses were brought to him. And this story is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 13. In Matthew, chapter 13, Jesus went to the lake and they brought all manner of people to him who were sick. In verse 5. And he healed all of them of their diseases. Imagine if Jesus was to show up that way to Loma Linda. And, come on now. Imagine this horrific thing coming down. That Jesus shows up to Loma Linda. And heals everybody of their diseases. What would the medical center do? Hmm. Deep 
thoughts. What, what, what would you have for lab? Well, we're going to watch some video now of patients who once inhabited the rooms. You see, Jesus could do anything, and he never had a title. Makes me think of people like Gandhi, makes me think Martin Luther King Jr., people who never had a major title to speak of, and yet the world can be turned upside down. You know what the model is called? Discipleship. You know why so many people are afraid of San Bernardino, Southside Chicago, East L.A., or, or, or Harlem, or the Bronx, or, or, or Little Havana, or, my, or, or Southside Houston, North Houston, East Houston, West Houston? <laughs> Do I hear an amen somewhere out there? You know why people are afraid? Because a lot of discipling is going on in the streets. Are you aware that gangs recruit up to 50,000 kids per year? What church do you know of this discipling that fast? Recruitment is happening. Discipleship is a popular thing. And if the street can do it, God's people can do more. Because if the evil spirit can get a kid to lose all track of life and values and like just do anything and, and consider prison an honor and death, well, we all got to die sometime. I know he was only 12, but we all have to die sometime. Imagine that you can get people to think that way if they're desperate enough. If that kind of discipleship can happen in the name of Jesus Christ, an opposite discipleship could happen. That's right, man. You hang out with Mr. Big on the street, you sell drugs, you make some cash, and the average lifespan is two and a half years. You hang out with Jesus Christ. And you can live forever. That's a cool thought when you think about it. Jesus healed them of all their diseases. And then he preached throughout the day. He did miracles throughout the whole day. People were like, whoa, that was an incredible message. He just healed all 30 of those people over there. And he goes on to tell them more stories. And I like Jesus' way of preaching. He told lots of stories. Sadly, though, over the years, we started calling his stories parables. He spoke in parables. And I grew up never knowing what that word meant. Parables. You know, when you grew up with a dude like, what up, man? To parables. I don't know what that means. That's what Jesus did? Oh, so uncool. Parables. You know, let's just throw out that word. Because all it means is a story with a meaning. Jesus told stories. And if he was with wealthy people in the city, he talked about pearls of great price, about working for a day's wages. He talked about crime. He talked about the city people were like, yes, amen. Let's talk to our banker in the morning. Amen. But when he was out among peasants in the countryside, he talked about seeds and fig trees and sparrows that fall out of the sky and grapes and vineyards, sheep and shepherds. So whether you were poor or wealthy, whether you were a, a, a Jew or a Gentile, whether you were tall or short, whether you were a man or a woman, whether you were a free person or an inmate, you always understood Jesus' stories. Because he didn't come to find holy people. He came to find sinners and to offer a journey of discipleship. Follow me and I'll make you a better person and you'll turn this world upside down. You're never the same when you're a true disciple of Jesus. He's healing 
every one of their diseases. He's preaching. And finally, we're told here in Matthew chapter 13, it's the end of the day, and Jesus is really tired. And some, some leaders come up to him, and they say to him, uh, we want to talk to you. These were religious leaders from the temple. And they say, show us a sign. Okay, we've been here all day, gentlemen. You know, hundreds of people have been healed. Uh, some real major stuff came down today. Yeah, show us a sign to prove to us you're the Messiah. You know, that, that shocks me a little bit because, you know, how can you be standing there all day watching Jesus perform miracles and you still don't know if there is a God? You still need proof that there's a God. I've seen miracles happen right here at this hospital. My wife used to work here. I know a lot of stuff, man. I know what goes on up there. I won't say which floor. Some of you are like, I hope he doesn't mention our floor. That'd be so uncool. You see, I've seen miracles happen up there. I've seen miracles in the flesh up close. Most people, when a miracle happens, don't see it. Very commonly, well, you know, there's not enough data. They'll just have to remain a mystery. I don't have an answer for that, so I'm sorry. When God directly intervenes in humanity, we have developed a culture that dismisses it because it didn't appear in the literature. It hasn't been reproduced in the test tube. This is not part of it. I'm sorry. I'll just have to conclude that there is no answer. I have no idea. Perhaps religion can provide answers for you. It's not religion that provides answers. Jesus spent the entire day performing miracles, and these guys have the guts to come up and say, show us a sign. We want to see a miracle. And Jesus could have said, you know, all right, you obviously weren't listening today, but he didn't. He just answered with this. This corrupt generation seeks after signs, miracles, wonders, but I'm not going to give it to you. I mean, if you, it's kind of like saying, if you didn't catch it by now, I'm not going to give it to you. But I am going to give you this. I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. And when I first read that, I go, whoa, the sign of Jonah. That is so cool. And then I said, what does that mean? So much of the Bible, Jesus is speaking so simply. He's telling such plain stories that we seek for the deeper meaning. Perhaps he was referring to, no, 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 the sign of Jonah. Now, you remember who Jonah was? Jonah, you know, he was like minding his own business. And the Lord called him to be a disciple, just like you are minding your own business. And the Lord calls you to be a disciple. Kind of like, all right, I'm on my way to class, man. Yeah, follow me. (laughs) I love the way Jesus did that. He would just show up. It's incredible. He, he doesn't come at your schedule. He simply shows up and invites you to follow him. It's very unorthodox. Remember, there's only so much you can reproduce in the literature. There's only so much that you can experiment with and confirm and repeat and repeat. Sooner or later, you have to experience something. You could keep talking about the reproductive system and all of its physiology, psychology, 
everything, the emotional, the, every aspect of parenting. You can become a foremost, foremost expert and write books and be in, among the best sellers of the nation on parenting. But if you don't have a kid, you don't know what you're talking about. It's not until you hold your own flesh and blood that parenting starts coming together brutally. Before then, you were a foremost expert with two earned doctrines in the discipline. These doctorates can explain anything except experience. And that's how it is with what people refer to as religion. Perhaps you have read enough stuff. Perhaps you've heard enough stuff. Perhaps you've debated in the hallways with religionists, as you call them. But sooner or later, you must have an experience to understand what this is about. The literature can only contain so much until your own heart is exposed to something. You can read all kinds of material on dating and the appropriate relationships. You can sign on to those websites and become a member of the dating community. But it's not going to make any sense until you're scared to death, sweating, feeling like you're going to pass out that she finally said yes to go out with you. Until you date somebody, you could be the foremost expert. Until you meet Jesus, he was only a matter of debate. Jesus said, I'm not going to give you anything except the sign of Jonah. Jonah was called by God because it was a city called Nineveh. And Nineveh was living deeply in sin. And God said, you know, the wages of sin is death, so they're leading to destruction. The city's going to have to be destroyed. And God was deeply concerned. Go warn them, Jonah. And Jonah, you know the story. He, you know, Nineveh's that way, and Jonah went that way. He got on a boat, and he took off. And in the middle of the night, there was a monstrous storm, and, and the, the sailors on board started casting all the, 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 the cargo into the water. Everybody's bailing. Everybody cry out unto your God. And that's when Jonah realized, man, I'm running away from God. Now I'm tasting what it's like to be without him. You guys, just throw me in. What? This guy's losing it. Hurry. Finally, this, no, no, throw me in and the storm will go away. So realizing they're going to die anyway, let him die first. Maybe we'll buy ourselves a few extra minutes with a lighter boat. They threw him in. And as if the ocean turned into glass. And they saw this humongous sea bass swallowed him. Oh, that was weird. We should have caught that thing, man. That's a year's worth of food swimming away. Meanwhile, back in the fish, Jonah's inside. And I saw paintings of this when I was a kid of Jonah sitting there contemplating his future inside of the fish, kind of like Pinocchio, you know, they're in the rib cage, no internal organs, and it's no wonder the whale was in such a bad mood. I don't think so. He was inside the fish's gizzard in absolute darkness. Ophthalmologists here will clarify to us, if you're in absolute darkness for too long, what happens? Three days later, this fish just can't get rid of whatever it is in here. Have you ever been through that experience? Do not take Pepto-Bismol. You will only slow down the inevitable. This poor fish 
doesn't know what to do. I shouldn't have eaten that. I don't know what it was. But... <laughs> Finally, the fish comes to shore and has a horrific yet very relieving experience. And out flies Jonah. <laughs> There's a Ninevite surf fisherman there. Nineveh's behind him. And this thing walks out of the water. He's green. You know, stomach acids have a way of altering what you look like after three days. And this must have been the weirdest thing when Jonah came ashore. And he must have looked really strange with his bleaching effect. As he stood on the streets of Nineveh and said, Repent! Repent! Your sins have reached such a climax that death is imminent for all of you. If you turn from sin, you will discover life. Life does not have to be a bad thing. Why is it that death is what's attractive? Why is it that destroying our body? And I remember growing up in L.A., my friends would say, if you're going to be really cool, let's say, check it out, you do stuff into your arm, you drink stuff, you... You smoke it, it's like a, you swallow it, it's, you, you just destroy your body as fast as you can, then, then you're cool. There are a lot of funerals to show for among my cool friends. Why is it that if you're destroying your body, that's okay? That's great. Uh, you're actually admirable. I mean, the dude, man, he could party back. I saw him take down half a keg. All right, so he's going to die young. Let us all celebrate this destruction of humanity. Why does it have to be bad religion to talk about taking care of your body? Go hang out at public health for a few minutes and realize the power of taking care of this body that's called the temple of the Holy Ghost. What is wrong with taking care of our bodies? Isn't that what you're studying about? Why is it then uncool to say that we should take care of ourselves. That's a good thing. What's wrong with telling people who are doing destructive things, you could do better than this? Yes, it's a world of choice, but why not fulfill your commission, your training to save lives, rather than stand idly by watching people destroy their lives? That is what Jonah was doing. You guys, death is the result of what you're doing. Turn from your ways and live. God has sent me to tell you this is a warning from heaven itself. There was a very popular book in the 1800s, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it was a popular seller. Preachers were going, the hellfire is coming and you're all going to burn. People would scream, ah, baptize me, I don't want to die, please, please. That's a terrible reason to give your life to Jesus because you don't want to die. Jesus didn't do it that way. He offers love and a relationship. Follow me. Come on, we can chill together. I'll make a better person of you. I'll make you, you think fishing's cool? I'll make you a fisher of men. You think collecting taxes, Matthew, is great? I'll let you experience the ultimate wealth, salvation. So Jonah preached with power, and we're told that from the king on down, they repented. The whole city of Nineveh said, we turn unto the Lord our God. We didn't realize we were being so destructive unto ourselves. We didn't realize that what we're doing ends in death. We don't want to die. We choose life. 
And they lived. God turned from what he had said would happen. They heeded the warning. And life is what occurs when you heed a warning. Jesus says, I've done enough miracles. If you keep thinking that you have to be stoned. I mean, there are some people that it's kind of like they're addicted to miracles. I need another hit, man. Do a miracle. That way my faith won't die. Miracles are not intended to do that. That's why you don't need miracles, really, because God wants to appeal to your reason. Let us reason together. If your sins are scarlet, they can be white as snow. If they be red like crimson, they can be like wool. And so then I had a new look at what God's warnings are in the Bible. Because when we hear people preaching the warnings incorrectly, they preach doom and fear and destruction. That's not what God intends when God talks about warnings. You know, we're really in tune to this now in North America. Over there in Maryland, where I live for the last 13 years, you know, that's what I miss about California. Over there, almost every day, somebody asks me about my mustache. Hey, what's with the mustache? I'm a Mexican. What's that? Unless you're talking about immigration, then everyone knows who we are. So during election years, people are clear on who a Mexican is. And um, I come home to California, and nobody asks. That is so cool. I'm home. Over there in Maryland, I got used to the sound of the warning. We're watching TV. Remember, they usually say, this is only a test. This is a, this is a, the leaders in your area in voluntary cooperation with either have agreed upon this test in the event of emergency. Had this been an actual emergency, you would have been directed to a... And you're like, hurry. It's the middle of the game. Hurry. The test. But in Maryland, it was... This is not a test. A tornado has landed in Montgomery County. And it is moving north-northwest. And all of a sudden, the guy in the news appears. Yeah, we have spotted a tornado. Twister is moving at 10 miles an hour, which, ladies and gentlemen, means it's a dangerous tornado. Do you understand? (laughs) No, I don't understand. I'm from California. It's moving north-northwest. And I see the red line on top of my house. (laughs) That's called a warning. Please find shelter now. Every, ever since I moved to the east, I said, what's with these basements, man? In California, the basement is this little thing under the house with black widows in it, and only the dog goes in there to have puppies. <laughs> Do I hear an amen? And nobody wants to go in there and get them out. No, Mom, I saw a spider half the size of me. It was shiny and black and had this red thingy on its tummy. In the east, they have basements. I finally understood the burden. Find shelter in the center part of your basement. We all, you guys, everybody kept this. And we went downstairs. And the tornado was four miles away. Went right through the University of Maryland. And one of the professors, his two daughters were on their way home. Okay, dad, we'll see you at at the house. And they did not hear the warning. They're at work. They didn't have a radio or TV on. They were, the siren didn't turn on on time. And suddenly, they look out the window, and it was too late. An F4 tornado hit the campus. 
The father dove under the desk and the entire building was shredded in the next 30 seconds of violence. And, and his assistant was clinging to a, some kind of a pole. Her arm was broken and because and, and she, she hung on, just wouldn't let go. And they climbed out into the sunshine in this rubble that had been his office. His daughters, who moments earlier were going out to the car, Where's the car? And there were piles of debris everywhere. And the tornado, you could see this monster darkness moving through Laurel right into some apartments up ahead. The daughter's car was picked up by the tornado, thrown over an eight-story dormitory. And this horrendous heap of twisted metal was found on the other side of campus. His two daughters were killed. You see, a warning is a good thing. A warning doesn't have to be like, oh, please. 1969, Hurricane Camille. Remember that? No, you don't. But I do. And so do your grandparents. <laughs> a few professors. Yes, I recall. It was uh, quite a year. It's when I did my second doctorate. No, I'm sorry. It was my third. It's when I was published for the 48th time. 1969, Hurricane Camille was one of the first times we really got into putting out hurricane warnings. And they called a big warning for the southern gulf right out there by Mississippi, New Orleans. Sound familiar? And people were like, <laughs> they went out their houses. It's sunny. The sky is blue. Birds are singing on my front yard trees. These guys are crazy. People did not listen to the warning. A warning is about life. And how you can avoid death. A warning is about something that's inevitable and God wants you to live. Why is it that a warning has to be seen as this bad thing? Warning means listen to us. You can live, all right? You have an, a choice. You can choose life. And, and I'll never forget the group of college students because they became the subject of the CBS News that night with Walter Cronkite. Well, the next day, they called for a hurricane party at the beach house. A big, beautiful two-story bungalow. And they had a huge hurricane party going down when Camille came ashore with 180-mile-an-hour winds. And a 25-foot surf and, and water flood that came in. The next day, all they found was the remnants, some pieces left of a cement foundation where the bungalow had once been. Hurricane party, they called it. Famous last words. God loves us so much that he gives us warnings. Because something great is coming. Life. Eternal life. Jesus, in Matthew 24, in Mark chapter 13, in Luke chapter 21, tells us that he's, not only is he going to come again, but that there would be signs to tell you that his coming is approaching, that he's going to take care of business and establish his eternal kingdom, and that he's coming for you and for me. And he says, these are the kinds of things you're going to see. These are the warnings he shows you. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Hmm. There will be problems with the weather in diverse places. Earthquakes and destruction and famines and death. Hmm. 
I remember when we talked about global warming, it was always a political debate. It's quickly moving back into the scientific realm. And I know some of you don't agree with this, but you haven't been to the North Pole like I have. And when you see seals frolicking in the water at the North Pole where the ice is supposed to be 30 feet thick, there's a problem. Houston, we've got a problem. Seals at the North Pole. And when you see that the weather now, where it's always been dry, there's torrential rain. Where there's always been torrential rain, there's a drought. Where you have El Nino and La Nina being subjects of discussion. When were they around before? In just the last generation, we are seeing changes that are so dramatic. God said this would happen. It's not a bad thing. Now when I go to Florida or any of the southern states and I see those blue signs, hurricane evacuation route, and in my house... There's a hurricane evacuation route, there's the, 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 the snow emergency, and then there's the tornado. I want to go home to California, man. I want my, hurric- I want my earthquakes back. <laughs> I want to just like, okay, all right, everybody sit still and get under a door frame. Hold on to the lamp. I don't want to lose it on this one. <laughs> okay. All right, everybody. There's a big mess about 10 miles that way. That's how it goes here. You get used to that. We have earthquake standards, but you know, a warning is not a bad thing. God has told us what is to come, like he told Nineveh, life can come. You don't have to choose death. He's bringing eternal life. He's calling you to be a disciple. What is wrong with reaching out to a planet you love so much and offering the people you have made in your own image the opportunity to live forever. What is so disgusting about that? What, what is the idea of re- re- reacting to a God who shows that much concern for the people he loves? You know, the more I think about it, you know, those blue signs, snow emergency route, the hurricane evacuation route, one day, you know what the best cure for earthquake is? That you're in the air. Then let it shake all at once. Once I was out on the plains outside of Fresno, up in Madeira, out among the grape vineyards, we were out visiting church members, and I saw a, what do you call it, when, when the water's coming at you at the ocean, a, 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 before it breaks into a wave, you, you, you see that bump coming towards you? I'm looking at the, the grapes, they're all, and it's coming, hey, look at there, and, and it picked us up, and it kept going, there's another one, Picked us up. Now, for those houses, it did this. And I said, there's a big mess over there. And it was the Koalinga earthquake. And we, I physically saw the shock waves coming out toward us. The best way to avoid an earthquake is to be in the air. You see, Jesus is coming again. The advent of Jesus the first time was to save us on the cross, to pay the price for our sins. His second advent is that he's coming in the clouds of glory. And then he's going to say to those who passed away, who loved him, who, who were his disciples, rise. And you, to open tombs, you need an earthquake. Californians should really be into this day. And the earth will shake. And those will rise first who, who love Jesus. And then we who are alive will be caught up into the air with them. So you see, you won't feel the earthquake. Disciples... When we heed a warning, it's not about heeding destruction, it's about listening to life. My son, when he was three years old, wrote this song. It went something like this, you and me, 
you and me. Jesus loves you and me. Papi, listen, papi. You clap, papi. You and me. You and me. Jesus loves you and me. Mommy, come on, papi. Mommy, you and me. Then he, every, every worship, he came up with another little bar or two for his song. That's the purity of faith. That you can love God as much as a child does. Love his parents. Jesus says, if you have a heart of a child... That's what it means to be a true disciple. Like the child totally trusts in his parents or her parents, so you and I can come to trust in Jesus Christ. That way a warning is not a bad thing. If the hurricane is coming ashore, you and I can leave and choose life. God can bless us. It's a good thing. Listen to my little boy's heart. And as you hear his heart, if he's called you, I'd like to pray with you today.
Discipleship is such a simple thing. There's nothing sophisticated. Oh, it is so deeply theological if you really get into it. It's kind of like being healthy. It's not that difficult making right choices in what you eat and how you rest and how you exercise. But if you really want to get into the science of it, you can enroll at Loma Linda University and find out the depths in a very painful way. It is so simple to keep a healthy body. Why do people not listen? As medical professionals, you will always seek to answer that question. Back at your house, at your job, in your church, you also ask yourself, why do people make life so much more complicated than it is? And that's how it is in the journey of discipleship. It does not have to be complicated. How much simpler it is to come to Jesus Christ and say, I want to be a disciple. I'd like to close with a special prayer. Would you like to make your statement again about being a disciple of Jesus? Just come on up. Don't worry. I'm not going to play any music for you. and I don't need to appeal to your emotions. I just want to pray with you. Can I pray with you? Let's pray together. Come and join me. Discipleship is not a complicated thing. Do you want to learn more about that journey? I have to admit something to you. At first... When I met Jesus, I had the idea that it was a huge list of beliefs first, a huge list of doctrines, and it was so frightening. But one day, someone helped me understand, all it means is that you've met Jesus, and you want to be friends. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. So can I pray with you? Is that okay? Come and join me. Let's have a prayer of discipleship together. Just come on up. Just Come on up. Let's have a prayer of discipleship together. Just come on up. Don't worry. Let's pray together. Who else? Come on up. Your students in a very prestigious place. This place has become even more sophisticated since I left. I'm lucky, huh? (laughs) But you know what? Something must never change, the simplicity of the gospel. You know how this institution began? Loma Linda College of Medical Evangelists. Medical professionals who have met Jesus Christ for themselves, and they have him to share through their medical professions. The original vision of this institution is people who are in a discipleship journey, who are going to make more disciples by healing human bodies. There's more to life than a debate about religion. Really, what do you live for? If it's only a job, then there's never going to be enough money. If it's only about prestige, there will never be enough rank. If it's only about whatever else it is, you will always be in a quest for something you can never quite identify. But I have good news for you. My life began to make sense when I discovered that it's only about Jesus. And if I walk with Jesus, something powerful is going to happen. Something powerful is going to happen with my career roles. And the Lord has blessed me because I know that I'm not a good man. And I still attract police attention. When I rent a nice car, you know, sometimes over here at Alamo, they like me. Mr. Rojas, you're back again. I'll tell you what, we'll give you the Cadillac for the same price we gave you the Toyota last week. Big mistake if I have jeans and a t-shirt. Cops will pull me over just because 
they're not sure if I stole it. Some say DWB, but I say that makes me humble. I never forget where I came from. I'm only a disciple of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for loving us more. To be disciples of your only son is a great honor. Thank you for registering in the scriptures what is to come. And warnings are a good thing, Lord. The sign of Jonah turned an entire city around. And tonight, we know that you are turning many lives around. There are many of us who have never quite thought of you in the way we're thinking right now. Many of our churches across the land, people in their homes or on computers, are discovering that you have called them. Thank you that being a disciple is so simple, although so deep. What a simple journey you've given us. Thank you. We accept because we, we ask you all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.